Good morning online for uh, everyone joining us there. I'm glad we can be together. And thank you for coming here together, guys. It's a blessing. I feel blessed to be here. It does feel a bit like a family. I think church should feel at some level like family. We don't replace biological family. That would be weird. Um, but for some, for some, this is, this is family. This is as good and as close to family as some might ever have. For some of us, this might be an escape from family. Because your natural family was never, never the family that you'd hoped for. So it is good to be together. Lord, help us as we turn our attention to your word. Lord, would you speak to us? Thank you that we don't have to craft some kind of, um, I don't know, experience, some sort of an emotional or, or manufactured moment in order to meet with you. Lord Jesus, you've made a way. And I pray that you would now lead us. Would you give us hearts that are open, minds that are attentive to the things that you want to say to us. Father, we're your, your children. Won't you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to finish our Life in the Spirit uh, series, our teaching series. If, if you're a visitor, first time in Grace City, so, so glad you're here. Um, I hope this helps you. I hope this perhaps answers some questions for you. I hope this uh, compels you to ask even more questions because really um, what we're doing here isn't just a, an info session. We're not just trying to give you all the answers so that you can go away and then um, have it all figured out. We're on a journey together. One of the reasons why we do this together is because we're, we're meant to, to grow and learn in the context of community. So I hope that, it, I hope it feels like that for you this morning, that we're coming here to, to experience something more than just hearing the pastor give a hopefully articulate message that's faithful to God's word. We're here to do something together, to learn together, to fail together, to grow in hope together. So that's what we're doing. That's why we've been working through this series. But this morning we're going to conclude and then we have a few guest speakers lined up. In fact, for the next three weeks in a row, we'll have uh, three different sort of guest teachers, which I'm really looking forward to, and I think it'll be good for us as a church family as well. Amen. But for this morning, let's go to John chapter 14. The portion of text that we'll be looking at is John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. These are the words of Jesus as he was speaking to his disciples shortly before his crucifixion. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, 
and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Let's pause there. If anyone loves me, you will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Let's do context. What have we covered so far? What's led us up to this point? You might recall, if you've been tracking with us through this teaching series, that we actually began our Life in the Spirit series in the book of John. John chapter 1, in fact. And you might recall that when we're introduced to Jesus at the beginning of the gospel according to John, we're told that Jesus was walking along and a man named John, otherwise known as John the Baptist, he saw Jesus, he recognized who Jesus was, and he declared, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And some of John's disciples Some of his followers heard that, saw Jesus, immediately left John and began following Jesus. That says quite a bit in of itself. Jesus saw the disciples following him and he turned and he asked them this very, very important question. He says, what are you looking for? Or what do you seek? What are you looking for? Why are you following me? What are you hoping to get from me? And the disciples, they respond by asking Jesus a question, where are you staying? They wanted to know where Jesus was abiding. It's another way to translate the word. Where are you abiding? And so Jesus said, come and see. Come and see. Come and be where I am. And so they followed him. And it said, because it was around 4 p.m. in the evening, which to me doesn't seem that late. I don't know what time it gets dark in that part of the world. But because it was 4 p.m., they decided to spend the entire day with them. They crashed Jesus' house. They abided with Jesus. And that's where the story begins. They go on this journey of following Jesus and simply being where he was at. It's this fully relational experience More than just the teachings, more than just the miracles, there seemed to be this relational dynamic from the very outset. What are you looking for? We want to know where you are going to be. All right. Come and find out for yourself. Come and experience life with me. And they did. And they ended up following the man for over three years, we're told. Just following him all around the Judean countryside, taking little boat trips across the Sea of Galilee, witnessing this Jesus who taught with an authority that was not like any man they had ever heard teach before. 
as if he himself had authority over the words that he was declaring. He wasn't just a commentator. He wasn't just an exegeter. He wasn't just an explainer or another spiritual guru. It was as if God himself had come to be with his people. So this is what they began to experience for themselves. And they followed him all the way up until the cross, or at least the eve of his crucifixion, which is where we just read from in John 14. Where is this journey of following Jesus, or life in the Spirit, as we call it, leading? Where is this all going? If at some point, Along the way, in your life, in this teaching, your experience, your spiritual exploration, all of your questioning and looking and searching and hurting and hoping, you decide, I am going to follow this man. Someone told me that this is the man who came from heaven, the sinless one who died to pay the penalty for my sins so that I can experience life and relationship with him, with my God, my creator, my heavenly father as Jesus called him then I, I want to see for myself. Sign me up. Let's see where this goes. And at some point along the way, you might wonder to yourself, where are we going? Where is all of this leading? And that's a very important question. What are you seeking? Because sometimes we can become very disillusioned in our faith. If we think that Jesus is supposed to be taking us someplace, only we realize, like, hang on, this feels way off course. I thought you were supposed to do such and such and X and Y and Z for me, and, and when, what is all of this? What, is this? what is this life happening to me? Where are we going? And if our expectations are get misaligned, okay, that, that, can, that can hurt. That can be very, very painful. In fact, it can lead us to all sorts of terrible things. We can end up actually attempting to co-opt Jesus to, to achieve our own ends, to complement our own sort of vision of what the kingdom is supposed to look or feel like in our lives. You know how we do. We start to construct these little empires and then, of course, we need a bit of help because life is hard and the world has a way of just tossing us about. And so we co-op Jesus and say, Jesus, do your Jesus thing. Like, I, I need help with this. I need, I need, I need out of this. And, and I need you to sort of fix my life and all of these things. And there's probably some good in that because Jesus is meant to forgive us and save us and cleanse us and make us new and help us when we can't help ourselves. But we have to remember that Jesus leads the way. It's his kingdom that he's inviting us to be a part of. It's his church whom we belong to. He's leading. So we've got to ask ourselves. I would argue that we need to consistently ask ourselves, where are we going again? Where is this leading? And there's probably more than one way that we could probably answer that question. One place Jesus is leading us for sure is to the cross. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. 
That's, that's a part of following Jesus. But the journey never stops there. He leads us to and through the cross because Jesus came back from the dead. Jesus, life in the spirit, it's the lifelong journey home. That's what we just read. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And then I'll send another to help you. And then as you experience that life, learning to love me, and which also means to obey me, and being helped by another like me, and as you follow me in that way, then my Father and I will come and make our home with you. Life in the Spirit is the lifelong journey home. It's the prodigal son who went far off, who realized that he was way off course, that he had certain expectations of his father that were radically misaligned with his father's heart. And so eventually he came to his senses and he realized, I gotta get home. I never ever had it better in life than when I was at home with my father. I had everything home. And so Jesus left home to go on a rescue mission, to save us, to rescue us, from ourselves and the world and sin and the devil and take us on that journey home with him that we might be where he's gone. Life in the spirit is that lifelong journey home. How do you feel about that word home? Love it. Some people are like, ugh, I don't even have a home. I slept in a tent last night. That's my home. Slept in a van last night. It was really cold. I could do with a home, like an actual home. Or maybe you like that. I know people who live in vans. That's totally cool. If I was 20 again, I would be living in a van. I tell you what, I missed that whole phase of life. What is this home? What, is, what, is, what does the journey look like along the way? Because we're, God's not just trying to get us from A to B, otherwise he would just, um, what do they do in Star Trek? Beam me up, Scotty? Reckon he could do it. He has done that. It's totally biblical. <laughs> Elijah, bam, straight up. Enoch, just gone one day. But that's, that's the exception. He takes us on a journey home. It's a particular kind of journey. It's a journey, first and foremost, of love and obedience. Jesus says it three times. In just the nine verses that we read, he said it three times. That, of course, is significant. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Of course, the implication is, if you don't obey Jesus, you do not love him. You may think you love him. You may want others to think you love him. You may want him to think you love him. You may have convinced yourself you love him, but if you don't obey him, then you don't love him. I mean, it doesn't really get more explicit than that. And these are like some of his parting words to his disciples. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. You know, um, there's this misconception about Christianity. I'm speaking in very, very general terms. Within Christendom, today as we know it, there's this idea that to obey the commandments, that's, uh, that was like an Old Testament thing. That was something that the Jews did because God was somehow trying to make an example out of them to teach us that actually you can't keep the commandments and therefore we need grace. And there's a great deal of truth to that, theologically speaking, but Jesus says, if you don't obey me, then you don't love me. So somehow, love and obedience are inextricably connected. In fact, the Bible does this all the time. It's very frustrating. You find these sort of what might appear to be these like contradictory categories, not contradictory at all. In fact, they're like paradoxically intertwined, like faith and works. You can't have faith without works. You can't have love without obedience. You can't have the spirit without truth. You can't have truth without grace, which is why our vision as a church is to be the kind of church where hopefully anyone might be able to experience truth and grace and ultimately new life in Jesus Christ. So love and obedience. What is the commandment of Jesus? Now we know for sure that some of the commandments have been made void. Jesus fulfilled the law, so we are now, uh, it's okay to eat bacon and shellfish and other things. This gets theologically a bit complex, honestly, and there's a lot of debate and and things that could be said about it, and I reckon mostly things that should be talked about like in a theology classroom. We won't get into it now. But there is this real tension. Jesus fulfilled the law, so I'm no longer under the law, but he's still saying that I have to obey his commandments. Now, a bit more context, John chapter 13 he actually tells us what the commandment is that he's talking about here. He just talked about the quote-unquote new commandment. Again, getting towards the end, he's about to go to the garden where he's betrayed and ultimately crucified, and so he brings his disciples together, and he says, let me, I've got a new commandment for you. A new commandment. You can, you can just sort of like sense the anticipation Dude, Jesus has got a new commandment. Bring it in, bring it in. This is dragon scroll time. You're going to love it. What's it going to be? What's, what's the new commandment? I bet it's something just like super spiritual, far out. What's it going to be? What is it? You guys remember what it is? This quote unquote new commandment that Jesus introduces to his disciples? Love each other as I have loved you. That's it. That's the new commandment. It doesn't actually seem super new. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. Yeah, that's, I think I read that in Deuteronomy 6 someplace or something. Been around for a while. The twist, though, is love one another as I have loved you. Lay down your lives for one another the way I'm going to lay my life down for you. This is a next level kind of love, a sacrificial love, a grace-filled love, the kind of love that 
that you can only really experience when you've actually been loved yourself by God. That's the commandment. This is the journey home. It's really hard, it's really messy, it's really wonderful, and it takes like your whole life to figure out, and then some. I was with some friends yesterday, they just bought a house not far from here, and uh, somehow I ended up volunteering to go do this. The things that I do, I'm such a great Christian. They bought this house, really cool house, big old lot. It was like weird, like I didn't know these lots existed in Northeast Portland. And, uh, but the house needs some work, to put it lightly. And, but man, the potential's through the roof. And so we spent the day, um, a small little crew, just gutting this house, tearing up the linoleum, uh, pulling off old like fake oak paneling and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was nasty, super nasty. I was the only one not wearing gloves. I know, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? I th- think my shots are up to date. Anyway, and it got me thinking, like, this is it. Like, and we prayed for the house. And one of the owners of the house prayed this beautiful prayer, Lord, may this be a home for the many. Like we're building something here that's not just meant to be like I'm, this is once we get it done, we can sort of just like uh, block ourselves out, shut ourselves off, be comfortable, you know, build up our little empire, be nice and cozy and safe and comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. What we're actually building here, the point of getting dirty and, and, and sweating and, and all of the mess is that we can create something that's like a home for a lot of people, for as many people as want to come and be a part of this, we're going home. We're building home. We're on a journey home. Scriptures elsewhere say that God makes a home for the lonely. There's a lot of people in our world who, they had a house they grew up in, but for perhaps a long, long time, they've never experienced what it is to be home. You know, home where you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not, where you don't have to impress anyone else because everyone already knows you and they're not really impressed anyway, but they love you and they don't want you to leave. They would do anything to keep you there because it's home. It's home. And that's what we're building. That's where we're going. That's the journey. That's life in the spirit. It's the lifelong journey home. It's obeying Jesus and loving each other the way we've been loved. That's how home is built. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to the church in Corinth, he's correcting them because they're really good at spirituality. Apparently, they have a great deal of knowledge. They have a great affinity for knowledge. 
Um, they've had some world-class teachers spend time with them as a church. I mean, the Apostle Paul himself started the church. The Apostle Apollos came through and taught and taught, and, and, and they had knowledge like you wouldn't believe. Could you imagine if this church had been started by the Apostle Paul? And that was the sort of teaching that you, you were used to week in and week out. And a lot of the, the Christians there were also, um, they understood that God isn't just a matter of like word or knowledge, that God demonstrates his presence through, through miracles and signs and wonders and power. And, and, and so they were really into experiencing the presence of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And apparently that's what a lot of people were into. And the one thing that they were screwing up that Paul had to correct them on was their lack of love. I was having a conversation yesterday with a, a, a beloved brother. And we were talking about, he was asking me how much time I spend preparing my messages on a Sunday. And when you ever ask a pastor that question and you know they've heard you preach, the insecure part in you immediately thinks, why are you asking me that question? Does it, does it, does it seem like I'm not spending enough time? It would be like me asking my son, hey dad, I cleaned my room. Okay, let's go check it out. How much time did you spend working on your room? It's sort of like... <laughs> Be secure, be secure. <laughs> Anyways, we started talking. It probably it wasn't what I thought it was. We started talking about the importance of like theological depth and, and gaining understanding of Scripture. I'm like, yeah, that's all super important. And what's perhaps way more important than that is that we're growing in our love for God and each other. Because we could have all the knowledge in the world. And we could even act super spiritual. But if we're not learning to love each other the way God has loved us, then we're not going home. We've diverted. We've derailed. We're, we're going someplace else. But we're no longer headed home. Because this, this applies on so, so many levels. I'm just sort of keeping it within like the, the realm of spirituality. But there's other things that we can get really passionate about or bent out of shape about in, in life and the world. And we can begin to divide and, and make life and, and, and church about anything and everything else except learning to love each other the way we have been loved. Which, by the way, if you're like, well, what does that mean? Like, how have I been loved? Okay, this is how Jesus loves us. Remember when he was being crucified on the cross? And he looked down, and he looked at the centurion, the Roman soldier who was murdering him, and he began to pray for him. He says, Lord, forgive them. Forgive this man. They don't understand what they're doing. Won't you have mercy on the criminal? Won't you, won't you show your grace to this man who's currently crucifying the Savior of the world? We are loved not because we're impressive or especially lovable. God loved us while we were still his enemies. Like that's super humbling. That's not popular at all. We want to be affirmed in our lovableness. But the fact of the matter is that we were all once, like the Roman centurion, responsible for crucifying the savior of the world because I'm a sinner and I'm broken. I was born that way. At some point in my life, I began to make the whole world, my very existence, about me. 
And instead of smiting me or leaving me to myself, pouring out his wrath on me, he began to pray for me. He died for me because he loved me that much. That's how God loves us. Some of you have heard that like a gajillion times. You're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a very sweet sentiment. Some of you, maybe you haven't heard it a gajillion times, maybe once or twice, and it kind of offends you. All right. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty decent, actually. Who are you to judge me? You know, those sort of feelings, you know, that, that kind of defensive attitude that we all have sometimes. And, and I just want to keep saying it over and over and over in hopes that eventually it will begin to like penetrate deep into all of our souls because it has this real humbling effect. And then we begin to like see the ugliness in the world, the stuff that turns us off, and we begin to see people behaving badly and we're tempted to lash out and judge them or condemn them. We would be reminded like, whoa, hang on a second. I was once them. I too was once an enemy of God. I too was once a murderer. And we begin to love each other the way we've been loved. Now we're all going home. It's so hard. It's so hard. The journey home, it's also a journey of of exile. It's the sojourner's journey home. First Peter, uh, I believe it's chapter four, the apostle Peter says, he says, I urge you, uh, my beloved brethren, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, um, resist the temptation of the flesh for it wages war against your soul. He is writing to fellow Christians and he refers to them as sojourners and exiles. Some translations say aliens. This journey home, this journey of love and obedience, is also a journey full of like tension. It's an awkward journey through the world. It's a journey that always leaves us feeling slightly or very uncomfortable as long as we're still on our way home. It's the kind of journey where even if you get the house all fixed up and everything's perfect and it doesn't stink anymore and you finally got the rat and it's all just pristine, you should still feel slightly, if not very uncomfortable because that's not home. This world is not our home. We're living in exiles in a world that's broken. Now, to be sure, there's signs of the kingdom breaking out all over, and even creation itself still bears the resemblance of our beautiful creator. It's like we can't help but reflect at least a portion of the beauty of the God who made us. He is the beautiful one. And yet, the tension, the rub, the twist is that it's a broken world. We can't ever quite get comfortable in this world. We're reminded of it as soon as we like get over uh, probably about 40 or so. And you can't quite see that well anymore. And you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And like your body starts to decay a little bit. And you begin to pray things like, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who always leads me. And you begin to realize like, oh, that wasn't just a spiritual metaphor. Like my body is actually falling apart. 
I'm ready to go home. I'm being a little silly. There's something about this world, it's full of tension. It's full of tension. On one hand, the God of all comfort is meant to comfort us in our affliction. If we can experience the peace of God, at least in part, even in this world, and yet we're still on the journey home. We're still aliens in this world. We're still longing to get to the end of our journey. And this is important to remember because our world is severely broken. Let's talk about the news for a minute. Let's talk about our world for a minute. It's been a heavy year the last two or three weeks. I feel like it's just all coming to the surface again. The trial finally ending. Hoping for a sense of relief. Not really. Violence still erupting every time I open my news feed. People dying in masses on the other side of the world. Young people of color still being shot by police officers. Police officers still getting hit in the face by the other side. And round and round we go. And it's heavy. And it makes you wonder, is there any relief? Will it ever end? The answer is no. Not until Jesus returns. Not until we come home. We will live as exiles in this world. Getting married, having parties, planting vineyards, but exiles. Blessing the world. Not merely trying to escape, but living as ambassadors on mission to declare to the world that there is hope and the day of judgment will come. The king will return and justice will be done and peace will reign once and for all. You know, Jesus actually ends this, um, I, I only read up through verse 23, it keeps going. He actually ends this section, chapter 14 ends by Jesus saying, my peace, I leave with you. I'm trying to find it. Verse 27, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And how he said, love and obey me three times, he does the same thing talking about the world won't know what I'm describing to you. The world can't receive my spirit. The Judas, not Iscariot, which makes me crack up. Judas, not Iscariot. Poor guy. <laughs> Being the other Judas, Judas in the bunch. Bro, don't be a Judas. Come on, guys. <laughs> Judas says, Lord, how is it that you will Manifest yourself to us and not to the world. As we're going home, as we're on this journey, 
and, and we're experiencing life as followers of Jesus and, and we're finding ourselves in this constant world of tension where we're comforted and yet we're never quite comfortable because our home's not in this world, the world will look on and think, you guys are really, you're just weird. You're weird. Like, what do you mean your, your, your home is not in this world? Why do you spend your money this way? Why do you go to this place? Why do you love your enemies? Are you out of your mind? No, you battle your enemies. You know, bless your enemies. Why do you pray for those who curse you? Why are you loving those who would otherwise want to murder you? You're weird. And the world won't get it. And the world won't get the kind of peace that Jesus offers us. The kind of peace that we long for. On this journey home, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. As you go, as you ride out this tension, as you experience life in the spirit, in this world, I'm leaving my peace. The world's not going to get it. In the quote-unquote world, the way we get peace is by seeing the criminal executed. And that's, that's, that's about as, as good a peace as we'll ever get. But Jesus says, no, no, I'm giving you a different kind of peace. Not when the criminal is executed. Not when the centurion gets his. It's when the enemy comes home. It's when the enemy becomes a brother. It's when the person you want to hit in the face, instead you embrace with a hug. It's when our enemies join the family. That's the peace that Jesus offers us. That doesn't really feel like justice. Like the kind of justice I think we often hear in sort of worldly rhetoric is when the centurion gets the wrath of God. Is when the guy who murdered Jesus gets locked up or fried. But the peace of God is when the criminal gets prayed for. When the heart gets turned around and the centurion comes home. That's the kind of peace that Jesus offers us. And I want to encourage us as we go home, as we're navigating all of the ups and downs and the tensions and the violence and the momentary feelings, prolonged feelings of hopelessness in this world, don't get derailed. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget the commandment to love. Don't forget how you've been loved. Don't forget that we're exiles in this world. Make your house look nice. Fill it with people. But remember, we're going home. And don't forget the kind of peace that Jesus leaves us isn't a peace that comes about when the enemy is put to death. It's the kind of peace when the dead come to life. When those like us who were once enemies of God become brothers and sisters and they get invited home. You know how Jesus ends this whole passage? He says, the ruler of this world is coming. Let's go. He says, the enemy, the one who's coming to crucify me. I don't know if he's talking about Herod or if he's talking about the devil. But he says, the ruler of this world, the one who wants to snuff out the life of God is coming. Enough talk. Let's go. He says, I've got a lot of things I want to say to you, but that's enough for now. The enemy's coming. Let's go. It's a picture of the people of God. When we find out where we're going, 
where Jesus is taking us, that this journey that we're on is a journey home. And we realize that the enemy wants to keep us from getting there. The people of God says, you know what? Enough talk. Let's go. Let's go tell the world that a deliverer has come. Let's, let, let's stop talking about it and let's go tell someone that there's a way out. That there's a home they're longing for. It exists and, and they're welcome to come. Come and see. Taste for yourself. I'm not expecting you to believe all the crazy stuff I believe. Because I get it. I'm a Christian. I believe crazy stuff. It's nuts. It's wild. I follow and worship a man who died and came back to life. Okay, I'm, I'm weird. I get it. I'm just saying, if you want the kind of peace that I've been experiencing in increasing measure, come and see for yourself. The enemy's coming. The time is running out. Come, join me. Let's go home. Ask your questions. Express your doubt. Don't write off Jesus. Don't reinvent the truth. Don't pick and choose according to what you want to receive as the commandment. Jesus gets to decide. He's the leader. Don't co-opt him. Follow him, and he'll take us all home. Amen? Amen. Can we stand together? Worship team, will you and, uh, join me up front, please? Life in the Spirit. When we started this, some of you may have been thinking, like, cool, we're going to talk about spiritual stuff. We're going to get, like, all spiritually. And, and, and sure, maybe. In fact, Thursday night, we're going to gather here, and we're going to worship, and I'm going to spend a, a little bit of time, and I'm going to invite Jorge to teach as well. We're going to talk about, like, the gifts of the Spirit and, and how the people of God minister to one another in the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But all of that, all this talk about life in the spirit, it's actually not quite as spirit, quote unquote spiritual as it sounds. It's about loving people. You want to talk about spiritual. It does not get any more spiritual than that. I mean, that's the good stuff. You into the hardcore stuff? I'm into the hardcore stuff. Loving people, receiving the love of God, and then loving others the way we have been loved. It's, a, it's about getting up out of these pews, saying that the enemy's coming. He wants to steal hope. He wants to see more people die. Let's go. Let's tell the world there is hope. There is new life. The home they long for Let's go, let's go together. The journey's long, but his grace is more than enough. Oh, you're gonna face plant along the way for sure. Don't attempt it alone. <laughs> Lock arms, build some relationships, get real. You'll hate it for a minute, but the, in the end, being vulnerable with each other, getting intimate, confessing your sins, dude, that's where the action's at. That's, that's when the church begins to, to stand strong in the power of the might, when we can sort of come to terms with our own weakness, with our own need, the fact that we can do nothing apart from Jesus. You start talking about that, you start opening up to the people around you, you start confessing your sin, you start letting some people in who you're actually gonna like make eye contact with next Sunday. Dude, that's, that's the good stuff right there. Letting someone love you 
that actually knows your junk. They're like, dude, yeah, you're pretty messed up, man. But I love you. Because I'm with you. I need to stop. I just can't stop. I, I get really excited thinking about this life in the spirit. Guys, are you excited with me? Can you think of someone who needs to hear this? Can you think of people who are longing for home, but they're just looking for it in a million and one different places? And Jesus walks along. And we say, come on, let's go. Let's follow Jesus this way. Let's be where he's at. Let's abide with him. Father, help us. Help us, Lord. Change our hearts. Give us courage. Lord, fill us afresh with your love. Thank you, Father.